and welcome back to Evolving Prisons with me, Kagan Carey. Today I speak with Tommy Doran from New Zealand. Tommy works for an organisation that is working to transform the criminal justice system in New Zealand. He has also spent time in prison in Auckland. Tommy talks about how he used to have a methamphetamine addiction and we discuss drug use being treated as a health issue rather than a criminal one. Tommy also talks about the prison he was at and how he felt like his personality was stripped away and he was treated like a number. He also felt there was little opportunity for rehabilitation and today we discuss how he thinks people in prison could be given more support to transform their lives. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining me today. You have spent time imprisoned in New Zealand but you've also done a criminology degree and now you're working for a company that is working to transform the criminal justice system in New Zealand. So firstly, can you just tell us a little bit about what prisons in New Zealand are like for listeners who have never been? Yeah, sure. So um, I mean, just a little bit of background. So basically the the first prisons were introduced to Aotearoa New Zealand in the 1840s. So they were introduced by British settlers. Prior to that, the occupiers of the land had been only the indigenous Māori. Prior to, you know, these prisons and this criminal justice system that's been built up on settler colonial principles, the Māori had their own way of doing things, which, you know, placed, so it was called tikanga Māori. So I'm not an expert on this, but from what I know is that they placed a lot of emphasis on the importance of whānau and community and restoration. You know, the restoration, of, you know, when, when a wrong's been done, working to restore that wrong together with the with the family or the whānau as that's the Māori word for family is whānau so you're working together with the whānau with the community to restore that harm and looking deeply into the needs of the persons who have been harmed along along with the people who are um, who have caused the harm so fast forward a bit today Māori take up over 50 percent of our prison system here in Aotearoa New Zealand which is quite disturbing you know no efforts are, you know, slight efforts have been made to little, with little to no success, you know, in regards to decreasing that amount of Māori in our prison system. So our, our prison system, I'm assuming quite similar to yours, being that British settlers brought these concepts and ideas over to New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand. It's based largely around punishment, punishing the offenders. And we've gone through a, a significant prison boom basically since 1984, where our prisons are just they're just chocker at the moment, like they're overpopulated and understaffed to the point that, you know, people are having to spend way too long, you know, locked up in a, in a cell, having little to no access to rehabilitative material, you know, and that, that's resulting in a lot of people just getting out with no sort of rehabilitation behind them, you know, and we, society sort of placed this expectation on them that, you know, they're, they should come out fully reformed, but <laughs> it, it just doesn't work like that. Absolutely. Can I just say, sorry to interrupt, this might, I might be wrong in this, but I read that what you'd said about 50%, sorry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but Maori, they make up 50% of the prison population, but am I right in saying that they actually only make up 16% of the population in New Zealand? Yes, yes, that's correct. Although they they represent 50% of the prison population, that alone isn't very accurate because there's such a minority in New Zealand, but they take up such a large percentage of the prison system, which is scary, horrendous for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you'd say, it's the same with the UK where our prisons, it's sad to hear that on the other side of the world, 
they're not much different. In the UK, we're understaffed. The prisons are overpopulated with people in prison. And as you say, we're putting them into this place, locking them away all day with the demons inside their heads. And then we're expecting them to come out either reformed or habilitated because, as I've said a lot on the podcast before, some of these people don't know how to behave in society already. Mm. And then they're expected to go back out into society and behave in a completely different way after being traumatized in prison for sometimes years. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's something that... um That's another thing I can speak to is the prison pipeline. You know, we place a lot of emphasis on that word rehabilitation and we call for that. But, you know, in many cases for a lot of these individuals, habilitation is a more more appropriate term, you know what I mean? Because the term rehabilitation is just assuming that, you know, these people have learned basic life skills and, you know, know how to navigate the system and, you know, handle themselves in a normal, healthy, pro-social life. You know, a lot of these people that we assume that they know how to live a normal life and stuff like, you know, they've, they've started off and, you know, this is Māori in particular mostly, but, you know, a lot of them find themselves in the boys' homes and things like that for delinquents when they're younger and then that graduates to to the youth, our youth justice facilities and then um, inevitably ends in adult prison, you know. So a lot of these people have spent the majority of their life from a young age just in and out of the system, just being recycled through the system. And, you know, we just expect these people to get out and know how to, like, navigate a normal life, make a CV, apply for a job, attend a job interview, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of these people didn't have positive role models to teach them how to do these things. So this is where the gap is, you know? Like, this is what the system should be about, and it should be about from the get-go, is identifying these at-risk individuals and, like, asking how you know how can we avoid them getting to a stage where they're pushing 50 and they you know they they've got no life skills you know that's not normal you know and it's a social problem because there's so many cases of it and you can't to the point that you can't call it an isolated incident like it's it's a reoccurring theme and it's um nothing's really being done about it yeah and that's a scary thing that's where prison needs to be much more growth and transformation orientated because It's easy for us to say, oh, get a job, behave this way, because we've been raised like that. Whereas if people have not had positive role models, as you say, they don't know how else to behave. And I just can't help but think that when when they're in prison, prison officers need to be mentors and positive role models and help them learn how to behave. And I know there are a lot of prison officers who want to do that, but because they're so short-staffed and overpopulated with people, they don't get a chance to do any of that work a lot of the time. Nah, nah, I agree. And, you know, I can imagine for them that can become disheartening, you know, can get to the point where it's just like, oh, you know, you want to make a difference, but you're just getting shut down left, right and centre for a whole lot of reasons outside of your control. And it's like, you know, what's the point? (laughs) Absolutely. Because it's a hard job that they're doing. So there's only so many times that you can try and get knocked back before for the sake of your own well-being, you probably have to walk away. And I was reading the other day that in the UK, there are more prison officers leaving now than ever. And don't know that there's many reasons for that. I don't know what the specific ones are. I'm sure there's research being done into that. But the stats speak for themselves that more people than ever are leaving the prison system. So why is that? Yeah. 
So just to talk a little bit about yourself, Tommy, before you went to prison. So you had an addiction to methamphetamine. Yeah. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about how that came about, how that addiction came about, and just a little bit about what it was like to have an addiction? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the minorities who have been recycled through our system throughout the years. You know, for me, that wasn't the case. You know what I mean? Like I grew up in a white middle class family, never had to struggle for, um, you know, the basics or anything like that. So basically, like for me, like from a young age, I have what I believe to be undiagnosed ADHD, you know, still to this day. So like I, I just had a real tendency to sort of play up and, um, you know, play the fool, be the class clown throughout school. And a lot that was largely due to um, my inability to concentrate on tasks, the inability to listen to people speaking to me, the inability to, you know, stay focused. So because I really struggled with that, you know, it did a lot to my self-esteem in the sense that, you know, I felt like I was stupid. I felt like I was useless, you know, and um, because I couldn't perform well at school. When I did apply myself, I did well. I just found it really difficult, you know what I mean? And so I looked outward for, you know, external validation from my peers, you know, by being the class clown, being an idiot, making people laugh, you know. So that that's just something that sort of stuck with me throughout my schooling, constantly getting told off by people, punished, you know, started with my mum, then, you know, then it was the school teachers and then in years to come, it was the police and corrections officers, you know. So um, eventually I got to an age where the things to do to rebel was to use drugs. So I started out with a little bit of cannabis purely because I was told I wasn't supposed to, you know what I mean, by the people that were constantly telling me off and telling me, you know, I wasn't good enough and was stupid and blah, 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 you know. So left school quite young, did various courses and things like that. Got into drinking alcohol. I really, like alcohol was like my first, you know, like I, re I really enjoyed alcohol, you know. It slowed my head down a bit, gave me that warm feeling that I sort of struggled with throughout my life, you know. Like I, I just, you know, I always felt like I didn't sort of fit in sort of thing or always just on edge, you know, always worrying about what people thought of me. Alcohol got rid of all that. That graduated to methamphetamine when I was about 15, 16. And that was the same, you know what I mean? And that was um, even better because it gave, me a, it gave me a real boost. So, like, I left school, worked in various jobs, same sort of situation. Like, I, I really struggled to listen to people and follow simple instructions. And, you know, I was given a hard time because of that. So, I thought I was stupid, you know? And uh, just that, just that, um, that roll-on effect of, like, self-sabotaging so I got to the point, you know, I sort of gave up on trying to hold down a, a regular job and my meth addiction was getting out of control and, it, and I couldn't afford it, you know, like I couldn't afford it when I was working a normal job anyway. So when I wasn't working, you know, like I had to find ways to fund it. So got into um, stealing to support my habit, a little bit of dealing, you know, here and there. Never anything like big time or anything like that. I was never a big time crook, you know what I mean? I was just a grunt really, you know, like I did a lot of things for other people and stuff like that and middleman things here and there. Inevitably, that led to me getting tied up with the criminal justice system and, and the prison system. So, um, yeah, that that's, that's sort of what happened for me. That's a bit of my story. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that. And before we go into prison itself... I'd love to touch on the fact that you've said before online that a police officer actually treated your addiction as a health issue. 
So can you just tell us a little bit about what that situation was? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I've had um, several sort of like short stints at recovery and clean time and a normal life and things like that. My last relapse was around 2019, end of 2019, coming into 2020. And uh, I've been clean since then, so two and a half years. Basically, I was up in Auckland. So I'd been using, I'd been on a meth bender. I was using meth intravenously quite heavily and something happened to me and I I went into a full-on psychotic episode. I don't remember much of it. Long story short, a couple of police officers found me walking up and down one of the main roads out in West Auckland. So they picked me up. I had some gear on me, some I had some meth on me. They took me to the station. I was just sort of like, so, like I've had bad experiences in the past. The first time I ever got arrested, I was I was in a similar state, not as bad, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in a good place. And they threw me in the cell for like 12 hours, and I was not okay. And that was the first time I got arrested. And this was the last time I got arrested. So this is interesting, like, because they took me to the station. And I was like, please don't put me in the cells like this. Like, if you're going to do anything, like, send me to the hospital. Or, like, I'm not okay in the head. Like, I need to be sedated or something. And they laughed at me and said, we're not going to put you in the cells. We're not going to. They laughed at me like they were shocked that I would think that they were going to do that. So I, I moved to Wellington in 2017. I had a bit of clean time up and then I decided I wanted to use drugs again. This was when I had started my degree and had a job and shit. Not a job in the, in the sector that I'm in now, like just a sort of like a call center job. Like I wouldn't get away with doing that in the job I'm in now. But, you know, I sort of said to myself like, oh, you know, like oh, I like using meth, you know, I'm just going to use it and, and not get into the crime and stuff like that. So um, I hadn't been in trouble for quite a few years. So when they picked me up, they said to me like, what are you doing? Like, you've been out of the system for years, you know? Like, what are you up to? Like, why are you up here? We can see you've been down in Wellington. It looks to us like you've been doing well because I told them, like, oh, I'm studying criminology and shit, you know? And they're like, what the hell? Like, and I just explained to them, I just said, mate, look, I've, I've had a relapse and that's all it is. And they, so they, they processed me, but they didn't like give me a court date or anything like that. They just took my, took my drugs. They gave me a, um, referral card to a drug and alcohol line just to call them and just told me piss off back to Wellington and um, sort your shit out like get back on track you know so that was cool that was something completely like I was baffled you know <laughs> but I'm really grateful you know like I'm really grateful for those two officers yeah that's so good because I can't help but think that drug addiction and alcohol addiction should be a health issue. It should be considered a health issue in society because I used to work in the court system in Scotland and the amount of people I saw committing crime because they had a drug habit that they were funding. And of course, committing crime, it's not okay. However, I can't help but think if we treat it as a health issue and get to the root cause of their addictions, why they are addicted, help get them clean. I can't help but think we'd impact the prison system there would be less people in prison people's addictions would improve what are your thoughts obviously being in your position where you've had an addiction and the police have treated you as a health case what are your thoughts about that yeah i I agree totally you know um we have had some great initiatives over the years like um we have the alcohol and drug treatment courts up in auckland that's limited to auckland at the moment so Basically, that's an alternative to serving a prison sentence for anyone who's identified their offending as, 
you know, as a result of their, their drug addiction. So like they can go guilty to all their charges, get bailed to a rehab. They sort of get monitored over a 12, 18 month period. And um, when they when if they successfully complete the alcohol and drug treatment court, they they just get like a blanket sentence of 12 months supervision, which is just probation, you know, don't go back to jail. So we've got a lot of rehab centers. Like, so I just finished up working at one down here in Wellington. We got a lot of people, a large turnover from, you know, of people coming from prison. For a lot of people, like, it starts off as like a way to tick the box and get out of jail. And then there's like a percentage of them, something clicks along the way. And then there's also like the people that just keep coming through, you know. But like, I was that person, like, my story is, I didn't get it the first time, you know what I mean? Like, I've done a handful of rehabs up in Auckland. I did one down here in Wellington. But the thing is, for me, like a seed was planted when I finally did actually get my shit together and get clean. I did it on my own accord. You know, I didn't have any conditions or anything. But I put a lot of that down to the fact that, you know, I come from a, a good family and they've always backed me when I was ready to sort my shit out. And they've, they've been, a, a you know, a huge cornerstone of my recovery. So, you know, I'm also I'm also aware of the fact that like a lot or probably most of these people been through the prison system, constant battle with drug addiction and stuff. They don't actually have that, you know what I mean? They don't have that family to look to for normality. Like their family are probably like, you know, taught them how to be dysfunctional. So like, that's why I recognize the importance of these services and of these alternative facilities to prisons to, you know, help people find their people, find their community. Because, um, you know, a lot of them have no sense of community, you know, like, their sense of community is is jail, you know, gangs, you know, drugs, crime, you know, violence. That's their normal, you know. And um, uh, you know, it's up to like, it's up to us, you know, who have like found a new way to like try and guide them through. Because for me, it's been twelve step programs that have um done it for me, you know. Like that's where I, I was introduced to twelve step programs through. So that's Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. So I was um, introduced to those through a rehab center. So when I was ready to rein it in, you know, like that's where I went and that's what's worked for me. I'm also open to the fact that people have to find their own way. And I think due to, you know, the amount of Māori who are overrepresented in this whole in this whole mess, you know, like because a lot of them have been disconnected by their culture through colonization. So there should definitely be a cultural element in a lot of these programs, especially the ones that are focused on Māori and, you know, sort of like a by Māori, for Māori sort of thing, which um, people turn their noses up at, you know. I don't get it. Like, because I, I identify as New Zealand European, you know what I mean? And same as the gangs, you know, like some of our gangs here have been like working on initiatives to like sort of help their people break away from the myth because the myth's a huge thing over here. So, like, who are they going to listen to? They're going to listen to their own people. So they're not going to listen to some white guy in a suit, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, because they just can't connect with them. They, they don't know anything about them, what they've been through. So tell me a little bit about when you were in prison then. So I know that you've said before that when you went into prison, you felt like your uniqueness and your personality were completely stripped away from you and you were just looked upon as a number rather than a person. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So going into prison, so I'll just mention that because I I used to live in Auckland, the prison I spent the most time in was Mount Eden Prison because that's the remand prison. 
as a horrible place. Some of our other prisons out around the country have like pods where, you know, you're sort of outside, but this is just all artificial lighting and it's maximum security as well. So you come in through um, the receiving office, which everyone refers to as the RO. And this is something like that was significant for me. And, you know, as well as the work that I've done speaking to people, like the RO is like something that like, it's significant for them too, you know, like it's where they felt that they were, you know, that's where you come in looking up at someone on a tall desk, they hand you your greys or your greens. Some prisons it's grey uniform, sometimes it's like a dark green. They hand you those, you know, take every take all your clothes off you, you know, make you strip naked, humiliate you. You're no longer a person, you know, like I've been like blatantly ignored by prison officers when I've asked for things, you know what I mean? Like I've just had them staring straight in my face, closing the door, you know, when I'm when I'm asking for and you know, I'm not somebody who asks for much. I understand a lot there's some really demanding, annoying people like that they have to deal with. But I can speak for myself and say, like, I was asking one day I was asking for a shaver so I could have a shave because I had sentencing the next day. And this guy's just like staring straight through me, shutting the door in my face, you know what I mean? Along with this Prison politics is a thing. So because the officers get paid so little, there's corruption, you know? Like, basically, if you're a high-ranking gang member, you're going to be all right and the, the guards will be good to you because, you know, you're going to benefit them through, you know, selling drugs, whatever. If you're just a runt, you know, like, no money behind you, whatever, like, you're going to get treated like shit, not just by the inmates, but by the guards. Like, yeah. Wow. So are the high-ranking gang members, are they then paying the guards? Is that what's happening? Yeah. And I mean, like, corrections will hear this stuff and be like, you know, oh, that's just hearsay. But there's been investigations going on lately and it's been real quiet, you know, but it's been happening. Every prison I've been to, it's been going on. There's been drugs, phones, and, you know, there's, there's a percentage of it that gets brought in by the inmates but phones, that's coming from the guards. You know, how are inmates getting phones in? Yeah, so that's basically it. Like if you're, if you're a peasant, if you're a nobody in prison, the guards aren't going to look after you either. They're not going to give a shit, you know, because you're not going to give them anything extra on top of their, their piss poor wages, you know? <laughs> so like, why would they care? Yeah. Were there some officers that you felt they were there to want to make a difference? I mean, there, there was a, like, so there was one girl working there last time I was in that I knew from my past. So like she sort of spoke and yeah, like she got me in the office for like an extra phone call and stuff because I was really struggling to navigate the, um, in Mount Eden prison in particular, like it takes, it can take months to get phone numbers approved. You know what I mean? I was just trying to find a bail address, you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, um, I mean, I'm sure, so I mean, it's like everywhere, you know what I mean? Like it's, um, I was thinking about this the other day, like people put gang members in a box, they put convicted offenders in a box. It goes the same for the police and corrections officers, you know, there's some good ones and then there, there's some bad ones, like it's just the way it is. And, you know, I've heard people like friends of mine who have like spoken to corrections officers who have said to them like, look, mate, like, I came in here to, I wanted to make a difference and this place has changed me, you know what I mean? Like, it's, they just don't give a shit anymore. Like, they just want to go home safe to their families. Like, that's it. You treat people like animals, they're going to behave like animals and we get a lot of that. And the thing is with officers, it's interesting that you say that because I personally know some fantastic prison officers, but 
I know academics who have carried out research into prison officers and each of them found that prison officers become quite cynical and they learn not to trust prisoners. So as you say, you can you can have some of the kindest, most well-intentioned people going into prison to work and the job, it just grinds them down. They become cynical. They kind of get a bit on a power trip sometimes and they just almost begin to resent the job and the people because their well-being is not being cared for. They're working too much. They're not seeing their family. They're at risk every day of harm. And then the people in prison end up suffering because some prison officers do treat them badly. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because it's not just the prisoners, it's not just the prison officers, but it's everyone that experiences this. Because like, I know people that have gone to prison for like minor dishonesty or even like cannabis offenses and stuff when they were younger and they got stuck in that cycle. And now they're, they're just, they're not nice people, you know what I mean? Like they've been hardened and they've been... um they don't trust easy. They, you know, they're quite cold and it could have all been avoided, you know, if the right actions had been, the right interventions had been put in place when they were, you know, just starting out with their offending. Yeah, absolutely. I actually heard somebody saying, I thought it was quite powerful that obviously you're the, the average of the people you're spending time with. You'll begin to imitate the behaviors of the people around you and if they behave well and achieve a lot, that will make you strive to do the same. But if they're behaving badly, then you start to mimic that behavior. And the person had said that, why are you putting a bunch of people who are traumatized and have committed crime into a place together where they're around other people of the same type? How can you possibly then expect them to change? And it's very true. I know there are a lot of people in prison doing good things, but if there are enough officers who are bad and enough people in prison who are bad, then they really don't stand much of a chance of changing, do they? No, exactly. And that that's the thing, like, um, that's how I thought of prisoners, you know, particularly when there's nothing there's nothing to do, like in, in Mount Eden on remand, you know, like it's a breeding ground, like, because, you know, the way I look at it, if we're looking at it as a, as a health issue, because addiction's huge over there, over here, if it's not addiction, it's, it's usually some sort of trauma, you know, like, there's a very small percentage of people in this world who were like born with serious cognitive, you know, disorders that make them do bad things and have very little empathy, you know, like, and, and those people need to be monitored or, you know, they need to be kept apart from society. But that's a select few, you know what I mean? Like the majority of crimes that you hear about, you know, in the news, whatever, it can all be like broken down through socialization. So, you know, it's all learned behaviors and, and because they're learned behaviors with the right support, they can be unlearned. So like in Remand and Mount Eden, you spend a lot of time just doing laps, like you're just walking around in circles, you know, and like, geez, just think of that, like somebody's in there for something small and they're like mingling with seasoned like career criminals, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you expect them to come out and like, it's just bizarre, you know. Especially in a maximum security prison. So if you have somebody in for a minor thing, and as you say, they're they're mixing with seasoned criminals who are in a maximum security prison, they aren't two types of people that you should want to be putting together. Nah, exactly. And it happens, you know, like, and it's just pure laziness a lot of the time. Laziness in terms of just which prison they're sending people to on remand. Yeah, and just not, 
looking at people's backgrounds like, oh, just, oh, like I've seen bad things happen. Like I've seen people get sold up with somebody they shouldn't have and like it has just been bad, you know, like just they've put somebody in a, in a cell with someone who, who shouldn't have anyone in their cell with them, you know, like these people will like tell the guards, if you put anyone in my cell, I'm going to mess them up, you know, and like they'll go and put someone in there, like think it's funny, you know, like, wow. yeah, it's pretty twisted. Yeah. And it's so traumatic. The thought of going to prison absolutely terrifies me. And imagine just being forced to share a cell with someone and you always being on alert to what that person's going to do to you. In that situation, if they're put in with somebody who's threatening to hurt them, I just can't help but think you're not turning that person's life around. And some people argue, oh, prison should be a deterrent. And of course it should be a deterrent, but... I just can't help but think that loss of liberty is a deterrent enough. We shouldn't then be making these people terrified, always looking over their shoulder, traumatized at what somebody's going to do to them in, in their prison cell. Yeah. And I mean, the idea that, so our recidivism rate here in New Zealand is sitting at about 70%. So like within two years, like 49% of people are reconvicted and, and the rest of them, oh, I might have that muddled up, but um. Uh, like it's seventy percent overall, anyway. Wow, that's so very like high. it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's up there with you know America and stuff, you know. So the thing is, like here in New Zealand, we like to portray this image that we're like that we're real laid back sort of country, you know what I mean? And but it's not the image that we're resembling, you know. Like there's been a lot of ram raids and stuff happening lately, and um, there's been a lot more gun crime up in Auckland. Well, that that's what's being reported in the news, anyway. And these kids, you know, these kids are young as 10 years old getting caught for ram raids. Like, so, you know, what a ram raid is, like driving through a, stealing a car and driving it through a shop, you know. Kids at 10 years old doing this shit, like, something's not right. They can't even really be held responsible, you know. Like, this is a social issue, so it needs to be treated as such. Like, you know, and the idea that punishment is an effective deterrent to criminal offending is a myth as well, because... The majority of these people, if you go into prison, you know, you'll meet so many people with addiction issues, PTSD, fetal alcohol syndrome. What's a common symptom of all of those illnesses? Low impulse control, you know, lack of empathy, the inability to sit down and weigh out the pros and cons of directions. So how many of these people sat down and weighed up whether, oh, okay, so I'm looking at this long in prison if I get caught for this, is it worth it? That's not how it works. doesn't matter how high, how much higher you keep raising the bar, like saying, okay, we're going to increase sentences for this this nature of offending. Like, it's not going to work. Like, people don't think about that. They don't care. You know, like, they're going through some shit, some shit they've probably been dealing with since they were children. It hasn't been addressed. They haven't been supported. They've just been punished, 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 you know? And they've just, they've gone into like a, you know, like us and them complex and resentment against authority, like, it's just it's it's all just really counterproductive and and also what the statistics indicate as well you know is that this isn't it's not working you know like it never has and it never will <laughs> yeah i'm so glad you said that because i feel like there certainly in the uk there is our politics seem to say tough on crime. You know, that that's what sells in our society is a tough on crime approach and will increase sentencing. And there are so many people in the public that are like, brilliant, they're going to increase sentences. But as you say, anybody who 
knows the first thing about the type of people that are in our prison should know that increasing sentences, not only is it making overcrowding worse because people are in for longer with other people, but it's just not going to work because as you say, people aren't thinking, they're impulsive, they're doing something before they think about prison. Oh, how long am I going to go? What's prison like? They're not thinking, they're just doing the the act and then dealing with the consequences. Putting them in prison for longer into a system that isn't rehabilitating them anyway. What on earth do people think is going to change if they put them in for another two years to sit in a cell for 23 hours a day? That's not going to change anything. It's going to make them worse, probably. Yeah, exactly. So just want to ask you then, so obviously the recidivism rate in New Zealand is very high. You said that there are little to no rehabilitation options in, in prison. What is going on? Are they sitting in their cell most of the time? And what do you think needs to change in prison to help people turn their lives around? Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, like, there are some programs that are available in certain prisons. So the people that are referred to those programs, so over here, I don't know, I'm not too sure how it works in um, the UK, but basically if you get sentenced to two years or less, you only do half of that. If you get sentenced to over two years, then you're looking at a parole sentence. So you go up against the parole board and whatever, and they'll refer you to certain, say you have to do certain programs before your next parole date. So the people that are doing sentences of like two years or less, they lose out, you know? So like they don't get the chance to do things. And that's that also extends to obviously um, remand prisoners, which is, you know, that's the, you know, that's the worst at the moment, the worst part of our prison system at the moment. Mount Eden in particular, you know, like, and, you know, the, the justification is, oh, what's the point on getting put, getting these people onto programs? We don't know they, they could get out tomorrow, you know? But I just feel like how hard would it be to just, like, give people some pamphlets, go up and knock on doors and be like, you know, you're interested in, like, upskilling. So, like, you know, just sort of, like, prompting people to sign up to something while they're inside, you know, so they can, they know they've got something to pursue when they get out. Personally, that's something I'd like to get involved with, you know, is like helping people with like anyone who's interested in doing like university type stuff, you know, helping people with like university entry or even just like basic essay writing, you know, where I can, that's something I'd like to do. But um, yeah, so it is, you know, we've got the DTU, which is the drug treatment unit. They send a lot of people there who are, um, doing parole sentences of over two years. They'll send people to that. But I don't know, I just feel like the environment of prison, it's just, it clashes with anything rehabilitative you try to bring in there. The whole environment of the prison is just, it just clashes too much, you know what I mean? Like it's not a rehabilitative environment, doesn't look rehabilitative, you know, it's it's quite, you know, I just, I don't know how hard it would be to like put some posters on the walls with like advertising various polytechs, universities, you know, rehabilitation services. Like, how hard would it be to do that, you know? So that's what I feel like it's it's lacking. The organization that I'm working with now, we focus a lot on um, prison abolition altogether. But, you know, I'm somebody who, like, I see it as we need to make small steps in the right direction to show the, the, the people that don't sort of believe in this stuff. The bigger, more sort of radical ideas are also possible. Radical to them, you know, like to us, you know, really logical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And that's it. I think this is why I started the podcast because I found in my own research that a lot of the public just don't know much about prison because, well, either A, they're lucky and have never had to think about it or B, it's just not something they've ever thought about because it's often done behind big walls and a lot of prison officers don't even admit they're prison officers because of the stigma around that. So the public just don't know. So I started the podcast so that people who want to know more about prison can learn. And yeah, I hope it changes a lot of people's minds because as you say, for us, prison abolition, that to me isn't a radical thing. I think we shouldn't have prisons. I, I believe that some people need to be in prison because there are some people who are so dangerous that they will never change. But I just can't help but think that people who are in prison just now, you know, like crimes that you committed, I just can't help but think they should be in a rehabilitation centre or something rather than a prison. Just some sort of supportive housing, you know, like, you know, easy as that. Like I've seen people just get bailed to like a clean and sober housing sort of environment and just flourish, you know, without even doing rehab, like just some basic rules and like a bit of a, daily sort of um, schedule, you know, and they've just flourished in that that environment, you know, because even rehab is not for everyone. I just feel like having the right people around you, the right role models, you know, people you relate to, it's going to just make a hell of a difference. Like people you respect, like it all makes such a huge difference, you know, rather than just having somebody look down on you and judge you and point the finger and say, you're this, you're that, you know, like you don't deserve, you're not worthy, like, you know, because a lot of us have been dealing with that through most of our lives before we even got caught up in prison and criminal justice system. So it's like, people wonder why. It's like, I don't know. That's why for me, I try to make a conscious, like, you know, when I talk to people, no matter how frustrating I find them, I try and like make a conscious effort to be kind, you know, and I don't, I fall short sometimes, but I always just reflect on my own experience and how I felt being dehumanized and belittled, you know, like it's just made me want to, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's so beautiful because I feel like there can still be such a stigma about people who have been to prison. And the fact that you've just said that, that, you know, you have been to prison and the fact that you've just said that you do your best to be kind to everybody you meet because you know how it feels to be treated badly. That's so powerful and so important because I think it just shows people who have been to prison aren't bad people. A lot of them are very good people, but they've just had such a tough time in life and had no positive role models to steer them on the right path. Mm. Perfect, Tommy. So last thing, you're saying that the company you work for are working towards prison abolition and you're doing a lot about transforming the criminal justice system. So where can people learn a little bit more about the organization you work for? So I'm working for an organization called JustSpeak. Basically, you can find us on our website at justspeak.org.nz. So the last two years, I was working on a podcast called True Justice with JustSpeak and an organization called PopSock Media. It's hosted by me and a Kiwi actress by the name of Anna Scottney. It's just more of a breakdown, you know, of the systemic issues, you know, in relation to our criminal justice system and our prison system here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So if you want to learn more, give it a listen. It's It's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and it's called True Justice, and um, it's five episodes. It's really great, really informative, covers a lot of bases. And um, yeah, I just encourage anyone who's interested in, in learning more about 
my country to and our criminal justice system, system here to go over listen. I'm also like really keen on, you know, networking with, you know, not just locally but internationally. So I welcome anyone keen to corridor or, or you know, chat, you know, to um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just Tommy Doran. You should be able to find me. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful, Tommy. What I'll do is in the show notes, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn if you're happy so that people can contact you. And I'll also put a link to Just Speak and to the podcast so that people can easily get onto that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's been brilliant chatting with you. No worries. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would love to hear from you. Please reach out to me and let me know what you thought of this episode. Or if you have any questions, you can contact me on Instagram at Evolving Prisons or head to my website, evolvingprisons.com. Thank you.